Good morning, brothers and sisters. I hope uh, you're not too tired with the uh, time change. I know, you know, my kids were tired, but so am I, so. I personally never liked the time change. My wife said something very smart this morning. She goes, why don't we just compromise and move it forward half an hour and just leave it there year-round? You don't have to worry about changing the hours. Isn't that smart? I'm like, why hasn't anybody thought of that before? (laughs) Anyways, I digress. So as you heard, we're in Genesis this morning, and our brother said we're going to cover Genesis chapter 5, 6, and 7. And, uh, well, we're going to cover it, but we're not going to cover it in detail. So, But for the sake of time, we're actually going to look at just Genesis chapter 6. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, we'll read the whole chapter. It says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves, all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, also and also afterwards, when the sons of when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have created them, that that I have made them. But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of God. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth has uh, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be a hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, three hundred cubits. Its width fifty cubits. Its height thirty cubits. You shall make a window a window for the ark, and it shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set a door of the ark in its side, and you shall make it with a lower, second, and third deck. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under the he- from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark 
to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kinds, of the animals after their kinds, of every creeping thing of the earth uh, after its kind. Two of every kind will come, will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourselves of all food that is eaten. And you shall gather it for yourselves, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And so this morning we find ourselves in this story of Noah and the flood. Now, before we delve into it, I, I do want to preface it by saying is, it's amazing how this story applies to us today. Just as a quick glance, just to give you an idea of how it applies to us today, we find Noah in a wicked and perverse world, don't we? A world that's at the doorstep of God's wrath, at the doorstep of God's judgment, and he, a message of salvation. Now, if that's not you and I in today's age, who walk amongst a perverse generation, a, a world that denies God's existence, who reject them outright, and God's wrath is right around the corner. And yet we carry what? A message of salvation. To warn the world of a judgment to come. So we find very simple parallels. Very simple uh, parallels in the story of Noah with ourselves. So we, there's a lot for us to learn here from Noah. So there's three things I want to look at this morning. One, I want to look at the days of Noah. The, the, the surroundings in which Noah was found. The, the, the world around them, what type of world it was. Second, I want to look at Noah himself, his character, his person. And lastly, I want to look at the ark. So those three things we'll meditate upon this morning. So first, let's talk about the days of Noah. And we get to this very difficult and semi-controversial portion of Scripture in, in Genesis chapter 6 about the sons of God and daughters of men. We're talking about the days of Noah here. And so we, we, have, to, we have to look into it and get a little bit of clarity. So... Let's, let's go over it as quickly and as neatly as possible. What is meant by the sons of God and daughters of men? Now, there's two general interpretations of, this, of these verse. One is that the sons of God refers to the line of Seth. They, they were the, 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 uh, the line in which Adam's succession was through, right? And then the, the daughters of men were the line of Cain, a rejected line. Now, that, that, that sounds good. It makes sense. And if it makes sense to you, that's wonderful. But I, I have a little bit of problems with it. Um, why, why would a, a daughter of Cain and a, and, a, and a son of Seth get together and have a baby that becomes a giant? Is not really doesn't really make sense to me. So I, I have a problem with that one view. But the other view is simply what it says. That the sons of God, meaning some type of angelic being saw the daughters of men, saw women, human women, and found them beautiful and took them as wives and had offspring. Now you sit there and say, well, well uh, can we look at other scripture to reference a, a, a point of pivot? Where else do we see the phrase sons of God in the Old Testament? Well, the first reference we see to it is in the book of Job. Remember there in the beginning of the book of Job, we read that uh, in those days, the, the son, it says that the sons of God came to present themselves before God and Satan was there, came along with them. 
That, that phrase, sons of God in the Job, is the very same Hebrew word, a phrase that's found here in Genesis chapter 6. It's referring to angelic beings. And, and, and that phrase, sons of God, is, is found in, in, in other four references in Scripture. So we have a pretty good idea when, when, it, when it talks about here about the sons of God, it's referring to angelic beings. And you may be saying to yourself, okay, well, that's fine. Well, how does it apply to us? How, how, how does this uh, affect you and I? Well, it's interesting. It's interesting to meditate for one reason, because the New Testament refers to these angels as well. In fact, in Second Peter chapter two, it refers to them as well. It says, "It says for uh, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter two verse four it says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness." to be reserved for judgment. And you may sit there and say, well, that verse, how do you know that verse is directly speaking about those angels who left their domain, as it says in Jude? Well, if you read the following verse, it says, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, right? He was referring to these, these fallen angels, these angels who left their domain and sought strange flesh and procreated with them. God said a, a special judgment for them. And so much so that that, that word hell in, in Second Peter is the word Tartarus, right? And, and, it, and that word is only used once. The scripture is used in that place. So it's different than Sheol. It's different than Hades. It, it's a completely separate place. It's a holding place for these special um, angels, these angelic beings who, who left their domain. And so back to the question, how does this relate to it? Why is this important to us, right? Well, the question is, well, first of all, we have to look at why they did this. Why would Satan want his angels to procreate with humanity? It's a good question, isn't it? Why, why, what benefit would it be to him? And the, the answer is actually quite simple. If you go back a couple chapters, there when man falls, right? The Lord curses the serpent, right? But then... He speaks of a Savior, doesn't he? He says there will be a seed of a woman. And this chosen seed, this chosen individual, is going to bruise the head of the serpent. You see, and that seed is continued upon being the seed of a woman. You see, Satan's very smart, intelligent, crafty individual. He sat there and thought, well, if I corrupt the seed of woman... If I can intermingle with the seed of woman, then there will never be, there will never rise a, a pure seed of a woman to stand up and crush my head. Quite simple. He just wanted to pollute the line with the seed of woman. Pretty simple, right? And you sit there and say, well, that's very conniving. That's very conniving. In fact, he, you know, he, he's, he's tried that many times. You guys remember in the New Testament there when, when, when the... The, the Magi, the, those wise men, uh, had found Jesus and they went a different way. They didn't go back to Herod because the, the angels warned him, right? Why, why did the angels warn him? Well, because the angels knew Herod's heart. And Herod, because of fear, sought out to kill who? All the baby boys. All the baby boys three years and younger. Why? He wanted to snuff out the line. He wanted to snuff out the chosen one. 
And so this is pretty much a very simple and, and concise answer of why Satan would go and do this. He wanted to pollute the line. And you may be thinking to yourself, okay, that, that's, that's interesting. But how, how do we apply this to you and I? How, how is this relevant to us in 2012? And it's actually quite simple. And it's the corruption of truth. You see, God promised a seed of a woman. A, a, a man that was going to, to crush the serpent's head. And you have to put yourself in the situation of that day. You wonder if the people in that day would look upon these giants, these demigods, you would call them, and would say, that must be what God promised Adam. It must be one of these giants that's going to conquer our enemies. It's one of these giants, these powerful human beings, that's going to destroy that old serpent. You see, it quickly became a perversion of truth. And so I pose to you, do we see the perversion of truth today? Oh, absolutely we do. We have, we have sects here on earth who, who would say, oh, we're Christian. Oh, we believe what you believe. But yet, they deny the deity of Christ. Don't they? I mean, Galatians warns about speaking another gospel, right? He who speaks another gospel is what? Is a curse, is anathema, he says. It's a grave thing today, brothers and sisters. It was a grave thing back then. So much so that God destroyed all flesh in that day because of it. So brothers and sisters, as, as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, we, like Him, should stand for truth. We look at this world, and this world comes at us from all different directions. Some may look better than others. Some sex may look wonderful. You know, we have Christian churches who claim to be Christian, evangelical Christians, but nowhere in the church do they talk about the Christ. Talk about his work on the cross. Because you know what? It's, it's too offensive. It's too harsh. We, we want to have meetings where, where we can uplift people. And, and everything will be happy. Sadly enough, some of these men who have these ideas, like Joel Osteen, have some of the greatest followings. Compromising the truth of God for the sake of, of, of the masses. And so we see from this example, this example here in Genesis chapter 6, I, a corruption of the truth. And, and, to the, and to the world with their eyes, they will look upon these giants and say, this is God's answer. This makes sense to us. Thank the Lord. He sees not as we see. And His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so the Lord will look upon this, this generation, these generations, and look at their hearts and their thoughts, and He would say their intent and their thoughts are evil continually. That's the state. That, those are the days of Noah. And you sit there and say, well, that, that's pretty bad. And it is pretty bad. But brothers and sisters, we're not far from it. I just turn to Romans chapter 1, there towards the end of the chapter... If that's not a description of today's age, I don't know what is. 
We, like Noah, stand in a wicked and perverse world. And so we talked about the days of Noah. Let's go to our point two. Let's talk about Noah. We read that Noah found favor, found grace in the eyes of God. You know, God would look upon earth and sit there and he would actually tell Noah himself, the end of all flesh has come before me. He looked at all of humanity, looked at their hearts, and saw the whole lump full of leaven in its entirety. Yet he found grace for Noah. Why? Well, look at the characteristics of Noah. What was said of Noah? Well, here we read that Noah was a just man, a man who walked upright. It was said of Noah that he was perfect in his generation. What does that mean, perfect in his generation? Does he mean he was without sin? No, absolutely not. That's not what it's saying. There's only one man that's perfect, and that was Christ. Noah was the son of Adam. He inherited Adam's sinful nature. He, he was a sinner for all intents and purposes. But if you look at that word in the, in, the, in the Hebrew, that word can also be translated. Was not contaminated. Or blameless. You know, I, I love that word, not contaminated. You see, Noah in that day, and, and all his siblings and, and all the generations around him were utterly corrupt. And the Spirit would say of him that he was uncontaminated by his surroundings. Can that be said of you and I? You know, you and I can't drive half a block with seeing some inappropriate image, hearing on the radio something inappropriate. The world around us, filled with vile. Do we traverse this world like Noah did? Uncontaminated. <laughs> Sadly for myself, no, I, we fall, I fall all the time. But here's the character of this man, a man who the Spirit would say was perfect in his generation, uncontaminated by those around him, to strive to be like Noah. And then, of course, we can't go on without talking about the faith of this man. This man made the hall of faith there in Hebrews chapter, seven, uh, chapter 11, right? Verse 7. Instead of Noah, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which condemned the world, and became heirs of righteousness, which is according to faith. You know, sometimes we can look at Noah, and we can gloss over him. And I don't want to do that this morning. Because the man's faith was incredible. If you sit there and you start looking at, at the life of Noah, it says that Noah begot his sons when he was 500 years old. And if you do the math, if you go into chapter 17, we read that the, the flood came when he was 600 years old. And then if we read in chapter, in chapter 6, that the Lord decided to destroy man, destroy all flesh, in 120 years. And he warned Noah 120 years. So he was 480 years old when God said, I'm going to destroy all flesh. I need you to build an ark. 
I find it completely amazing that for 120 years, Noah sought to do what God said. He believed in something he's never seen, never saw rain, never, ne never imagined rain, I could imagine, you would think. What, what's this thing about water falling from the sky? It, that's not possible. Yet he believed God in fear, and he moved. His faith had action, didn't it? He sought to build an ark. And you imagine this thing was, was, was quite big. And, and you imagine it, it, it took a lot of lumber. And, and you know, I mean, if today's an age, if, if, if you start building yourself an ark, your neighbors will say, what the heck are you doing in your backyard? <laughs> right? Wouldn't that catch the eyes of those around you? What are you doing back there, Noah? And Noah would, would definitely, he was also known as a preacher, obviously, would declare to them, God's judgment is upon this world. But he's provided a way out. Here is this ark. And, and, and you just could imagine 120 years of this. And in, within those 120 years, he started having children. He had three boys. Could you imagine the, 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 the rearing of those three boys and the pressure that those three boys had growing up? Oh, you're Shem. Oh, you're the, you're the crazy guy's kid. You know the guy who's building a big old boat in the backyard when there's no water anywhere? Yeah, I know who you are. Oh, but the faith of Noah. The faith of Noah radiated so much so that his own children would look upon him and be convinced of it. Would be convinced of the words that would come out of his mouth. He... He walked as he talked. Brother and sister, that, that's a lesson for you and I to learn tonight. I, I, I pray, Lord, that to get a hold of these truths. I find it amazing that Noah would, would for 120 years, would, would build this ark as a witness of God's word. And the world around would scoff him. And he would rear children in this environment. And he would remain faithful. A lot of times, parents will look at their children's situation, and, and, and if it's not exactly good for them, you know how many parents would sit there and say, "You know, we left the church because there was really no, no kids there for no, no, no kids around my kids' age because you know they, they need friends," and they would leave the assemblies to go somewhere else because there's kids somewhere else. No, not no. Far from it. Noah stood his ground. He was a man of conviction, a man of faith. And he honored the Lord. And guess what? The Lord honored him. Because as his children grew up, regardless of what was going around them, regardless of how much peer pressure they had, regardless of how much persecution they may have had, they saw their dad. A man of faith. A man who walked by faith. And found the reality, the fear of God in, his, in their father. And they took it for themselves. And amazingly, not just themselves, but their wives. I mean, that, that speaks volumes. Listen, brothers and sisters, I, another example of that would be Lot. There, when the angels came to pick up Lot, said, listen, we need to go because the Lord's going to destroy this place. Lot goes, goes, goes to his son-in-law, doesn't he? He says, listen, we need to leave this place. What does his son-in-law do? Ah, you're a fool. What are you talking about? 
Now we know from the New Testament that Lot was a righteous man, a blameless man. But he failed within his family, didn't he? He failed to walk that life of faith before his family. A testimony to his own family that his, his son-in-laws would not believe. But not Noah. No. Noah walked in such a way that his own sons and his son's wives could not deny. Could not deny the message of God's judgment and God's salvation. And would see fit to go in into the ark. And lastly... He was a preacher, right? I made mention to that. He was a preacher of righteousness, we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Oh, and did he preach? Could you imagine if you were in charge with the message and you were to preach for 120 years? You know, we've been charged with the message. And let me tell you, you're not going to live 120 years. You know, we go out we may go out and we preach the gospel. Heck, we've been doing it every Monday night at a soccer field. For, we're going on what, three, four years now? And sometimes you can look at that ministry and you sit there and say, man, we really haven't seen a large turning. We haven't seen the, these, these guys who come out week after week hear the gospel over and over. It seems like, Casting pearl before swine. It seems like they're not getting it. They have no interest. There's no desire there. Lord, what's going on? And you can get discouraged, can't you? For 120 years he preached. And the only people that listened and were converted were his three sons and his wives. Eight people. 120 years, eight people. Yet we read he was a preacher of righteousness. Oh, to have the tenacity, to have the gumption that Noah had. To, to lay hold of the Word of God, to lay hold of His truth, and to preach it unwavering. Sound. Oh, to be like Noah. And lastly, I want to take a look at the, the ark. You know, there's a lot of things that we can say about the ark. We can talk about its structure, how big it is. You know, it's, 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 it's 300 cubits long, which is the equivalent of about a football and a half, a, a football field and a half. So it's about 150 yards long. Its height, its width, its volume, its, it, it, it approximately can fit 800 railroad carts in it. And, and, and the dynamics of it, but I, I really don't want to, delve in the details of it except but one in Genesis chapter 6 verse 14 it says that the Lord told Noah to build an ark of gopher wood and it says in the Hebrew it says I want you to cover it inside and outside with pitch and you sit there and say okay well that, that's, that's normal in, in boat making you, you put the boat together and you have to cover the, the seams right so water doesn't rush right in but it's that word pitch I want to talk to you about this morning. Because that word pitch in the Hebrew I forget what it is and I didn't write it down. I apologize. Say again? Kafar? That's right. It was kafar. That word in the Hebrew kafar 
can also mean atonement. Kafar, to cover, atonement. You see, the Lord said to Noah, build an ark of gopher wood, and I want you to cover it, to atone it. For what? So when the judgment of God, and as the torrent and the deluge of water would come upon this earth, and God's wrath would be poured upon this face of this earth, God's atonement would hold back the water. You see, this ark is a very beautiful and clear picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, whom bore the wrath of God. As the wrath of God was poured upon the face of this earth, and the waves would crash against this ark, He bore us. He bore the wrath for you and I, didn't He? He bore. He made atonement, remission for our sins, doesn't He? You know, it's interesting. The ark being a picture of Christ. Look at chapter chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1 is a beautiful, beautiful thought. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come in. That's all I want to talk about. Come into the ark. Come into the ark. The door is open. Come into the ark. That's all you have to do. This world is going to be judged by the wrath of God. But you can escape it. All you have to do is come in. This morning our brother referred to it in the Lord's Supper. He read that verse in Matthew chapter 11. Come all ye who are weak and are heavy laden. I'm sorry. I, 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 I can't uh, quote anything. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, just like the ark was open, and the door was open, calling out to the world around it to come in and be saved, so is the door open today. The Lord cries out to this world, this world that does not deserve salvation, come unto me. All you have to do is come. How simple. Yet so few come through. The world will look upon it and sit there and say, listen, you, you can go your way. I'm, I'm going to go my way. You know, you, you think you're going you're to save yourself through this one doorway. Well, no, I, I have other ideas. The world, in all their ideology, in all their logic and wisdom... Fall short. Fall way short. For even in the days of Noah, once that door closed and the wrath of God poured upon the earth, not even the giants, these demigods, could save themselves. When the society around them probably thought, if anyone could rescue us, it's these giants. Probably. But God destroyed them all. And lastly that I want to take a look at. There in Genesis chapter 17, I'm sorry, in chapter 7. 
Verse 16. It's a beautiful thought. There, when, when after, after Noah and his family and all the animals had come in, and it says that the Lord, what? Shut him in. The Lord shut him in. And the door was closed. That door was shut. Not by hands, the hands of Noah, but by the hand of God. And as much as Noah would have wanted to, Noah could have not stepped out of that ark. Likewise, anybody outside the ark could have not stepped into the ark. Which speaks to us of our security in Christ. Brothers and sisters, once you, you've you've, you've taken that step of faith and believed in, in God, believed in Christ, believed what He did on the cross, believed that He has forgiven you for your sins, and you're born again into new life, let me tell you, you are in the ark. You are forever His. And nothing can, take, nothing can separate you. At the same time, not only are you secure, but also at the same time, the wrath of God. All the ways. You think of, of, of Psalm 69. That Messianic Psalm where the Lord. Um, let, let's turn to it actually. It's a beautiful Psalm. Psalm 69. There where it says. Oh, here, here's the Lord, here the Lord Jesus Christ crying. It says. Oh save me my God. For the waters have come up to my neck. And I sink in deep mire. There is no standing I have come into deep water, speaking of the wrath of God being poured upon the Savior. And all that wrath came upon the Savior. Meanwhile, you and I, who have accepted Him as your personal Savior, are inside Christ. And all the waves would crash upon Him and He would suffer the wrath of God. And all those waves would hit upon Him. And yet there was not one ounce of wrath for you and I. He bore it all. He bore it completely and wholly. And there's not one drop for you and I. What a beautiful picture of Christ the ark is, isn't it? One that saves from the wrath of God. I hope that these thoughts have refreshed your hearts, encouraged your hearts. And if you, and, and friend, if you're here and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen, this world is impending judgment. God has promised a day of judgment. Where are you? Are you going to be outside the ark or inside the ark? Are you going to seek your own way? Or are you going to turn to the only way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. It means there's no other way. No one comes into the Father but by me. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for, for in it we find such guidance, Lord, such encouragement, such exhortation. Father, we ask and pray, Lord, that your word would not fall on deaf ears, Lord. Father, I ask that you would... Uh, Take your word and let it take root in our hearts, Lord, that we would walk this earth as Noah did. Men and women of faith, men and women of action. 
that we may be like Noah, lights in, in a very dark world. Father, I ask all these things in your son's precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.